welcome to UVA Throws Podcast. Today with us, we have Ryan Krauser, Olympic champion, four times NCAA champion, high school discus record holder, and the list just goes on and on. Ryan talked to us about the difficulties he faced this season with training, his mindset during the lockdown, about the importance of goals in everything that one does, his training and approach towards 2016 Olympic Games where he won, why he picked Shapur over the discus, and many, many more things. Ryan is not just one of the best throwers of all time, but is also an incredible person, a true role model for all the young throwers out there. If you don't know this already, then listen to the end and you'll see why. If you like our podcast, hit that subscribe button. It helps us a lot and enjoy our interview with one and only Ryan Krauser. We got uh, Ryan Krauser with us here tonight. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for taking time. And uh, like I said a little bit uh, earlier, thank you so much for having a season and having such an incredible season that you did. We watched everybody, the whole world watched. And I think the way that you competed in this situation with during COVID, training on the side, it was very inspirational for, for many, many young throwers. So I just want to thank you for that, that you didn't give up or lost the spirit. If anything, you got stronger. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, this was a, I think it's been a year of challenges for everyone, but I was just really happy with the the chance to get out and compete and yeah, just being able to throw and uh, put together a pretty good string of performances. So I think down later on in this interview down the road, you might get into that a little bit and kind of how, how the year progressed and how I've kind of managed to make it work. Incredible. Would you, you know, we heard his story a little bit, but not everybody heard. How did you get into throwing in the first place? We know your family has some little bit of throwing history, right? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, my family has quite quite the background in the throws. My grandpa was up there at the national level uh, in, I want to say, the early 1950s, back with throwing a wooden javelin. And so he, he had done that and uh, had some success. And then when my dad was young, they, they had a jab uh, that they all threw around in the backyard. And so he, my dad was a, was a pretty good jab thrower and in high school, but he blew out his elbow uh, and then walked on at the community college throwing shot and disc, ended up throwing uh, good enough. And, and he just picked it up his freshman year and got to close to 150 feet, went to university of Idaho. And then by the time he left, he'd got 200 feet and kept throwing for a couple of years professionally after that. He ended up throwing 220 in the disc. Um, and then my uncle, both his brothers, Dean and Brian, uh, Brian was a jab thrower, has the NCA record with the old rules jab. And then Dean was multiple time NCA champion, uh, over 21 meters in the shot and well over 65 in the disc. And I think two years, the there when they were in college at Oregon Dean won the shot and disc and Brian won the javelin so between the two of them they scored 30 points on two separate years that's yeah what an incredible incredible family um now most athletes will be intimidated by that but you you had no problems with that huh? yeah. yeah well actually when I started so my cousin Sam uh mm -hmm. he started throwing a lot earlier than I did so growing up I did everything 
uh, I mean, started with soccer, baseball, football, basketball, kind of all the, the normal sports that American kids play. And I remember, well, Sam's one year older than me. And so I was born at the end of 92. Sam's one year older. So he was one uh, when my uncle Brian went to the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. And so they have like a, they have a picture of Sam in a little USA onesie that my grandma knitted with like a little bamboo stick javelin. Nice. So he, he started throwing when he was really young. And I, uh, I remember I started a little, like picked it up once in fourth and fifth grade and just hated it. Cause Sam was a year older and he'd been doing it for quite a while. He just so much, he was so much better. Yeah. He still, so, he still he still threw really far. He was very cool. Yeah, he was he was uh, USA uh, high school record holder in the javelin mm -hmm. in 2016 Olympia, and we were actually roommates in Rio. And then uh, don't want to leave out Haley, uh, his sister, my cousin Haley. Uh, she was high school record holder in the javelin mm -hmm. and uh, multiple time All American at uh, University of Texas. And she made the Olympic trials in 2016. I believe, and well, she, she would have still been in high school. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember that as a, as a coach. Obviously, we paid attention to those results, and uh, it was incredible to see uh, her throw right uh, that far, that young, um, and all you guys. And now, in um, in terms of that high school, right? So, how did you get transition from high school into college? You know, being an athlete, we talk about uh, a lot about struggles transitioning into being a student athlete. Uh, but then on top of that, you had, uh, it's not like it was smooth ride for you, right? You, it's, uh, you know, look at this, you have, you know, always the family that threw, but um, I remember during college, you had uh, a couple injuries that, you know, that could have been much worse. It wasn't easy injuries, right? With your ankle. How did you deal with that during the college? Yeah, so it's, it's definitely a big transition going from high school to college. Uh, the obvious one is the implement change uh, for the American kids going from a 12 pound to a 16 pound and the one six, the 2k discus is just, that's a big change in and of itself. And then moving away from home and being, you're pretty much a full-time student. That's what a lot of people don't realize, uh, especially at, at some of the universities. I was at university of Texas and uh, did two years of engineering and uh, then switched to economics and so I could graduate and finish my master's in five years. Yeah. And um, so I was pretty, you're pretty much a full-time student while you're doing it. And that's a big change in and of itself. And so you're still there to be a student athlete. I mean, even when I'm done, uh, if I'm really lucky and I'm able to go through 2028 uh, LA, which would it, as long as I could possibly see myself going. That's only eight more years, but I'm still going to use that degree for the rest of my life. So uh, you're there to get an education in such a small number, actually have a chance to throw professionally. Maybe there's one per graduating class in any of the four throws that really will make a career out of it. So you're there to go to school. And that was a, kind of a balancing act. And I felt like I really put in a lot of work while I was in college, but the distances didn't quite show what I felt like I was capable of. And it really, really did show up once I had graduated. I went from uh, 2173 indoors and then finished in May. And it like I made a couple of years of progress then getting ready for the Olympics. So 
So to any college kid, I would say focus on school. Uh, you're there to get an education. So obviously you can train hard, but don't let that get in the way of your school. Make sure you get that degree regardless. And if you really want to be a professional, you can jump to that level one, once you have your degree. Don't, don't get too obsessed with the throwing. Obviously, you're passionate about it, and it's a big part of your life. But make sure you get that degree uh, in those four or five years that you have. I, I love that you uh, that you said that, and I think that's so important to know, right? That you, uh, yes, sport is great. Doesn't uh, I mean how long that can it last, right? And then when you're done with the career, even if you're great, right? Even if <laughs> or the greatest like you are, right? You're gonna do something after that, and you're gonna be a businessman or you know engineer or something that you're gonna do that is not just uh, athletic related, uh, right? Even if it is, you're gonna have to run your business, right? So that exactly definitely helps. And, and I remember how much work you put into school and into training and your time organization was incredible. I remember you guys lifting in the mornings uh, at times, right? And yeah, yeah. So we went, we had, our schedule was, we did three days a week in the morning uh, at six. We were practicing at 6.30, so kind of getting there at six. Um, and then you're working out by 6.30. Uh, and that was 6.30 till 8.30. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then back then we were lifting more. It'd be a light lift after we threw kind of like a supplemental auxiliary lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then lift Thursday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and then Saturday we had a, a strength circuit as well. So we were in there a lot. And um, it was definitely a little bit of a balancing act between setting. But the thing that a lot of people don't realize with college is you have classes during the day. So we had our most of our classes were blocked off. We'd go from 10 till three most days with a lunch break in between there, but pretty much 10 till three or three thirty was, was classes every day, Monday through Friday. Yeah. And when you say this, it sounds so much, right? And it mm -hmm. is a lot. It is a lot, but what I see, and obviously you have done it and so many athletes, uh, student athletes, uh, it's something about um, having a schedule and being organized and your body just, gets with it right there obviously there's a point that you you don't want to put too much on your shoulders but this what you just said getting up at six right this is not most uh, high school athletes like oh my god i can't do it but obviously you have done it and so many athletes now were you afraid to go into that kind of schedule or were you like okay this is what i have to do how did you get through yeah. that mentally yeah there's there's definitely some growing pains with it i mean you're coming out of high school and high school is really structured i mean it's the normal, whatever it might be, 8.30 or 9 till 3 or 3.30 uh, classes, and then you have an hour of homework. So the, with college, it's kind of the workload is higher. You're spending less time in class, but kind of for every uh, class, you have 30 minutes to an hour outside of class as well. So there's a lot of time management that goes into it. And uh, if you just have to have to manage your time well and, and be pretty dedicated. I mean, if you aren't sure if you want to throw in college or whatever that might be you really you at the end of the day you really have to want to be there yeah. then you have to want to if you want to do both well you have to be a good student and you also have to want to be a good athlete because uh it's you're working it's like you're working a full-time job with another mm -hmm. part-time job on on the side because you're going uh pretty much you get a little break in there but I mean most days when I was going We'd be up, uh, you're up at 5.30, and then I would be done at 9 
uh, I seven o'clock to nine was my study hall. Mm-hmm. My, it's my freshman year. So it was, you're going, you have an hour break for lunch and then you've got maybe 30 minutes break between lift and study hall. And then you got dinner afterwards. So, I mean, you're, you're blocking up a lot of your day with that. Mm-hmm. And so at first it's, it's kind of stressful, but you get into this rhythm where you just kind of, you wake up and you stick to that schedule and that's kind of, that's just what you're doing. Uh, so there's, there's not a ton of variation. It, the, the thing that really gets you is kind of the extracurriculars. If you want to go out and party and have a good time and stay up late, I mean, there's, there's a price to that and not saying you can't go out, uh, and hang out with your friends on Saturday or something, but it, it, during it, during the, during the week is, is tough to do that. And you're going to pay, pay a price at some point, whether, cause you're not going to sleep, your training the next day is going to be down you're not going to pay attention in class you're going to get behind so it's if you stay on top of it and stay focused and just take one day at a time and do what you're supposed to do uh it's the system works and there's been a lot of athletes that have done it and a lot of athletes have had success but it's when you start throwing those extracurriculars on top of it that the system kind of gets a little shaky because you you can go one night on a little bit on a little bit less sleep but you start going you want to go out thursday or friday night your Friday practice, your Saturday morning session is going to be tough. Uh, you might sleep in on Sunday, not get up and, and get your body moving. So uh, you have to be there for the right reasons if you, want to, if you want to pursue a high level athletically and academically. Thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> us, coaches, you know, us coaches, we can you know, preach to our athletes. Uh, it's one thing, but when you see it from an athlete who has done it, it's a completely different thing. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Because uh, it's not easy, right? And then, uh, but it, but your body and mind gets gets uh, adjusted to it, and it, it is. And you, you know, guys listening and girls, that's what you have to do if you want to be Olympic champion, if you want to be the best, right? And I, I love that you mentioned, right? How bad do you want it, right? Yeah. You know, Olympic champion or Olympic Olympian or a professional athlete, right? Um, that's the price. It's it's not even price to pay, right? How off, how awesome did it feel when everything came to fruition for you? Yeah, I mean, it's so so many hours. And, like, when you look back at it or I talk to people about it, they, they have trouble wrapping their head around it. And they say, oh, I could, I could never do that. That's just so much time. But it's not, it's not that difficult, per se, when you're doing it one day at a time, really one hour at a time. It's, uh, so, I mean, for me, I write things on my bathroom wall or on my bathroom mirror. So I see it every day, multiple times every day when I wake up before I go to bed and on right above the sink, like right where I look every day, it says just be present in the moment. And that's been kind of the focus for most of my career is trying to be present in the moment. Uh, All you can really control is what you're doing right now. So that might look like the week that you have ahead of you is huge and oh, I'm not going to get through it. But at the end of the day, you're, you're still going to be, working towards it it's what you did at each individual moment to get to that point kind of determines whether you had a good day or a good week and looking back okay we put together a good month and that's kind of how I look at my training is I take it day by day uh make sure I get enough sleep make sure I eat well I want to look back at the end of every single day and say yeah I got nine hours of sleep last night uh I ate every meal I was supposed to I ate healthy today and I trained well, and you do that one day, and it's, you feel pretty good about it. You do that for a week straight. You say, okay, I'm really making some progress. And then you go a month, and you don't miss a meal. You don't miss sleep. 
you don't miss a single tr part of training and you say, okay, I really got something done. You do that over four years, then you're really starting to do something. And then that's kind of the, yeah. the model I've trained off of, uh, since I was a freshman in college. So we're on, uh, we're kind of up on year nine of that. So, yeah. uh, you get a pretty big body of work. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time and a lot of dedication, but that's kind of, if you want to be the best, that's, that's the way you have to go about it. No, I love it. And that's so true. And that's so true, not just in throwing, in life in general, right? In, in your business, in your, you know, academics, uh, in your family, right? In taking it day by day. Uh, and success, if you ask successful people, they don't become successful overnight. It takes years. And I love that, that you, you just said it took me nine years, right? Uh, you didn't become Olympic champion that day. You were Olympic champion building for years, a decade earlier, right? Uh, if not more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. How did, so how did that come up uh, in Olympics uh, to build on that? You were training, you were great, and you had a great college career. Uh, you're done with academics now in January. Right? I think you graduated in January or? In, in May. It was in May. Okay. So now you have three months to relax and train just for Olympics. Well, did you know you're going to win? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I went in said, right? on the day on the day of I, I knew I had a really good chance to medal. That was my goal was to medal. Okay. And obviously uh everyone goes in wanting to win. But to go back, I graduated that first week in May and then I missed my graduation uh to go to Prefontaine. And I think I got fifth at Prefontaine. I was coming off my uh, a little bit of a wrist injury, so I wasn't entirely healthy. So that was like that was my first uh, professional competition. Was there at Prefontaine, mm -hmm. and uh, just got to be out there and really compete. The, everyone top, all the top guys in the world were at that one, and so I kind of was out there and had a chance to mix it up and uh, really realize I can I can compete on this level. It's not you grow up and watch diamond leagues and watching Christian Cantwell, Reese Hoffa, all those guys. And then later on Kovac, Storl, Tom Walsh, you put up such a pedestal, but then when you actually get out to have a chance to compete against those guys, um, you kind of, for me, I could see, okay, I mean, I didn't win, but I can, I can be out here mixing it up and be competitive. Mm -hmm. And so that was right after I had well, skipped my graduation to go to Prefontaine wow. and then went straight from there to the Olympic training center. And, uh, so I had no classes finally for the first time in five years and was just eating the way I wanted to eat, scheduling my meals, uh, exactly when I wanted them training, when I wanted to train, not, Hey, we have an hour this afternoon between classes and study hall or whatever it might be. It was okay. I can take a full two hours to do this lift. I remember when I got to the training center, the funniest thing, I was working with Mac Wilkins mm -hmm. and I would throw and I was jogging out to get my shot and then jogging back to the circle mm -hmm. and then throwing right away. And he's like, why are you running out to get your shot and throwing right away again? I was like, well, that's what I've just been doing. Cause that's, <laughs> I have, I have 90 Limited minutes of full right? throwing session in. Yeah. yeah and I would, wow. and I had, and I had come there, I was throwing like two or three shots <laughs> and then kicking them all back and like jogging back and forth. So it was all of my training up to that point had all been about how many throws can I get in in 90 minutes. Yeah. And uh, so he's like, all right, let's just slow down and kind of focus on each throw. Mm. 
then so that made a huge difference. So my practices went to be about two hours long for throwing, uh, but I was not taking a ton. I would maybe take 25, 30 throws. And so that's really why I started focusing on, on the quality of my training and be able to transition from, okay, how much work can we get in a small amount of time to, okay, we have as much time as we want. What's the quality of training that we can get in? And so that made a big difference. And that's a, a college kid that I would say that wants to go to the next level yep. is you'll go to the next level when you're done. And it's all focusing on that quality when you truly become a professional. Uh, a lot of college, if you want to throw that next level, is laying a foundation and getting in the whole body of work. So when you're done, you can focus on it. And that's when you really start to see some uh, big improvements in distance. Interesting. Yeah, that's incredible. The story that you talk, talk about the running to get the shot puts is such a student athlete kind of thing, right? I got to make it to this next session, right? <laughs> exactly. You might have 60 minutes and it's all right. I know I would like to throw for two hours, but I've got 60 minutes. Uh, how many th I need to get 30 throws in. And so the, only, the best way to do that is throw two shots or three shots and jog out, get them, kick them back and then <laughs> throw in his like rapid fire. So uh, yeah, it was definitely just a change saying, okay, yeah, I can slow down and focus and really execute on every focus on every single throw and execute well. Uh, so that's, that was a big change for me. It, it seems like you don't leave anything to chance because obviously, you know, you're talking about, you know, your schedule in college and being prepared for all those, uh, sessions and, you know, getting up at six. It, was that the same mindset you had for, for this year as well? Because uh, obviously not many people go to compete, but more, uh, more important, not many people were able to train. And you were not – you didn't uh, have a very good uh, situation for training, right? But it didn't seem like that stopped you. No, it was <laughs> – yeah, this, this year has been uh, – it's been a challenge for sure. Uh, but it's really – if anything, maybe almost more passionate about it. Because the whole theme of this year that I was kind of, I was telling my training partner uh, and telling my coaches was, it's not really, it's not what you have mm. per se, because it's going to be so different. It's what you can do with what you have. Mm. Uh, so really this, this year I was, I was really proud of myself looking back because I didn't miss a single day from, I mean, we didn't miss a day in the fall or the, uh, or the winter. And then going all the way until the end of the season, we didn't miss a single day. I uh, was luckily, lucky enough not to get coronavirus um, and not have to go through a quarantine with that. But uh, the indoor closed on a Friday or on Monday. And then on my next throwing day was Tuesday so uh, or Wednesday. So on Tuesday, I was at Home Depot uh, buying a sheet of plywood. I was on the phone with Gill Athletics uh, asking them to ship me a tow board and so I was then that, so that Tuesday I lifted in the garage and then built my ring and we were out there throwing again on Wednesday. So, and yeah, like I was saying, it's the shot ring. I just had it set up in a parking lot uh, behind an elementary school, uh, just throwing off into some empty grass. And so it was uh, a lot of impro improvising with this. I was lucky enough to have a garage that I could lift in uh, with, but we just had a barbell and a rack, uh, not much for weights or as far as dumbbells or anything like that goes. Mm -hmm. So we had to get creative, uh, improvising training of, okay, what can we do with a rack and dumbbells? How can we find a way to kind of train posterior chains? We don't have a, a glute ham raise or a 45 degree back hyper. We don't have a lot of this stuff. 
So it was a lot of, we don't have anything, we don't have a sand pit to jump in uh, mm -hmm. for plyos. So it's kind of a lot of trial and error. Um, it really made me rethink a lot of my training of what's really necessary down to the core of it. And uh, how can we, how can I be strong enough to throw far a facility that I can throw at and do what I need to do to, to lay the foundation. So that was, uh, I was pretty proud of the work that we were able to put in, um, especially in the face of so much uncertainty with not knowing if we would even have meets or anything. Uh, but we just committed to, I, we, the first two weeks were really tough because it was just, okay, we'll wait two weeks. And I was training the whole time, but it was kind of like, I'm in really good shape. We might have meets in a month. So let's just kind of maintain for two weeks and we'll know more here soon and after that happened it was still the same case it was at, after two weeks the situation was still just well we don't know anything uh let's give it two more weeks so at that point I just sat down and said hey I'm gonna train like we'll have meets in September uh, I'm gonna go back to doing sets of 10 in the weight room high volume start throwing the heavy shot again a little bit uh and really focus and I'm gonna train like I'll have meets in September if I do have meets before then great uh if I don't have meets in, by September uh, we'll have laid a really good foundation going into 2021, but just had to commit to a plan at that point. This is, this is so powerful. That is so, and thank you for sharing this. This is so powerful. The, when you said on Monday we were shut down on Tuesday, I was at Home Depot. The easiest for us, for everybody, right, is to go to that negative route. Like, oh my God, you know, the, the world is coming down. Uh, but it seems like you're, you are watching at uh, opportunity side as a positive side. Uh, you went to get the plywood, and I remember you made that video, how you made the ring, and, uh, and what a season that you have, right? Um, so I'm sure without this approach, about proactive approach, you wouldn't have this season. We were all watching. We were all on the edge of our seats, right, on Instagram, on, on, uh, on uh, YouTube, on uh, uh, all the social media, and uh, later on on TV when uh, you went to Europe. We were watching that, and it was so exciting to see. I'm not glad that you went through all that you had to go through because of not having facilities, but I'm glad that you did what you did and persevered and show these young men and women that, uh, yeah, even in times of trouble, take the best out of it. You were looking at the bright side. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, I mean, an extreme case with this year with the pandemic and everything, but that's a lot of how, how athletics is. Um, there's always a lot of, you just have to adapt. Uh, nothing ever really goes exactly like how you plan. I mean, you start the year uh, and have an idea of what you want to do, but it's day to day. Uh, you still have to adapt. I mean, it might be a small injury that, or even a major injury that sets you back a little bit. It's always kind of trying to find the opportunities. I mean, in everything, no matter how bad it seems, there's always something that can kind of you can take take away from it uh always trying to learn learn from everything and come out the other side either smarter or better in some way and that was that was kind of the whole the whole key to this was yeah we're in a really bad situation and things don't look very good going forward as far as we're having meets or where to train but if you really want to come out the other side and be better than you were you kind of have to fight to find a way and uh yeah the whole theme of this past year was what can we do with what we have available because it was really easy to focus on what we don't have because there was a lot of stuff that that I didn't have that I would have liked to have and you're seeing some of the Scandinavian countries like Sweden they didn't shut down it's like man they've got full facilities yeah. they're training just like normal so it was really easy to look at that and be like wow that would be nice so I'm just going to sit on the couch and 
and not do anything today. But I was looking at this, man, I got to go out and compete against these guys. It might not be this year, but in 2021, uh, these are the people that I'm going to have to be competing against and trying to beat. So I'm going to do everything I can right now, try to give myself a chance to be ready when facilities do open back up and I can train 100% like normal uh, or ha have a chance to compete. These, these are who I'm having to compete against. Yeah, I'm sure when the time comes next season, when, the, when the everything, God willing, goes back to normal, I can't even imagine what kind of uh, season you're going to have. And we all wish you to stay injury-free so you can show your talents. This year, you had so many throws, over 22. We talked about this uh, many times. You're so close to world record, obviously. But what is – did you have a, a perfect throw? What was your favorite throw? Or did you feel that you didn't quite hit a throw this year, technically? The throw that I felt like I hit really well was the 2291. Mm. Uh, there in Atlanta so that one was almost a little bit of a surprise because I really hadn't been training that well uh, I was in it was kind of still just following the program uh, I think that was in late June or early July early July and uh, yeah it was early July so I was on not expecting to to have a meet and so I was on five sets of five uh, five second eccentrics okay. in the weight room And so I was just absolutely buried in the weight room in terms of load. Uh, that's for me, that's one of the hardest workouts that I do uh, in terms of kind of you have intensity, volume, usually when intensity goes up, volume drops down uh, and vice versa. But five sets of five on five second eccentrics are about the highest volume intensity I have. So I was not really training that well. I mean, I was still throwing. Uh, on my normal schedule and lifting a lot, but not really expecting to have a meet. And I, my agent called me yeah. and said, Hey, we have in, in 10 days there, we just get, we just found out there's going to be a meet here in Atlanta in 10 days. And so I was like, Oh shoot, I, <laughs> I really want to do a meet, but I am throwing pretty bad right now in training uh, distance wise. I mean, I was laying a good foundation, working on a lot of stuff technically. Um, and so it was like 10 days. Okay. We're just going to, cut back on training, do a little bit of work, but in 10 days, you can't really do, you can't really deload very much uh, coming off of five sets of five. And so did a little bit of speed work and got in the, got in the truck and we drove the, all the way to Atlanta Ooh, was that from, Fayette, from Fayetteville. And uh, the first meet went okay. I think I threw 2186, but I had a big warm up. Uh, in like that 2240, 2250 range. So I knew, hey, I can throw pretty far. Uh, but that first meet was tough because it had been so long since I'd competed. And I hadn't, you haven't been around people. The meet or the practices have been me, my training partner, Eric Solons, and uh, my coach, Mario Satania, was out. So it's, but it's such a low energy practice. So I got in the meet and I had as much adrenaline in that first meet as I did at the Olympics, mm -hmm. just after having trained for such a long time. And, uh, So it's 2186, not bad, um, but not really what I was hoping for, but I had a big warm-up, so I knew I was in decent – I knew there was power there. And so we were there in Atlanta, stayed for one week. Uh, the first meet was on Saturday, second meet was on the next Saturday, and did just a lot of throwing sessions, kind of cut lifting down a lot. And in that one week, my throw kind of started coming back, uh, just feeling rhythm, feeling better technically, and then finished with uh, – I think it was 2273 – Mm -hmm. on the fifth round and then 2291 in the last round yeah. 
And so that was a surprise because I really didn't program my, my training to be throwing far at that point. Uh, it kind of just happened that way. Uh, but I mean, I'd laid a good foundation. I was strong. I was pretty big at the time. And so then it was me started popping up on the schedule after that. So I went back and uh, got some speed work in, started doing some plyos, just started to transition from really off-season training to in-season training. And that's when the ball really started got, get, to get rolling uh, with really consistently throwing far. Uh, I just didn't catch one. Like it, when I threw that 2291, I was really in about like really consistent at 22 um, and threw almost that one was almost a meter farther. And so the later on in the season just didn't catch that big one. But towards the end, I was really consistent at like 2250, 2260. Uh, so really would have liked to have catch, caught that one meter farther throw, <laughs> which I know was there, but just didn't, couldn't quite line it up in a meet. And it's, that's one of the hardest things to do is just hit that big throw kind of, well, I also almost let it happen. Uh, you do everything you can to set yourself up for, for that. Uh, and it's all previous preparation. And I had done all that. And then you just have to kind of relax in the moment and just let it happen. Because if you're throwing when you're tight and tense and really trying to throw far, that's, that's usually when you don't. Uh, so I felt like I, I did all of that really well. It just, was uh didn't all click together on one throw and have that perfect throw but uh, I know it's there and it still is a major motivator for me going forward uh into 2021 oh that's I don't know if I'm more impressed by the fact that you were heavy lifting 10 days before or how <laughs> long is that drive to Atlanta that's not a short drive oh <laughs> uh, no I, I want to say it was like nine nine-ish hours Wow. Um, yeah, for yeah. a big guy, that's not easy. For you know, no, it was, and we did. Yeah, <laughs> we went pretty much straight through. I mean, we stopped for lunch and did a little shakeout, but yeah, that was a that was a long one. Wow, uh, uh, Ryan, I love it. I'm, I'm. Thank you again. I'm going to thank you a lot of times during this podcast. <laughs> but thank you for saying that. Sometimes we have these meets. You know, it's not easy to go. You know, three, four hours in a bus. But Ryan Krauser went nine hours. I'm, I'm Googling right now. It takes 9.50 is the fastest route from Fayetteville to Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, and you threw 22.91 after uh, uh, heavy lifting. Obviously, you're a professional athlete. I only, but that's, that's not easy. That's not easy at all. I have uh, only a couple more questions for you uh, before I let you go. One is in training. So you mentioned 10 days you had to abruptly, obviously, deload because you had a meet scheduled. How, how much do you mm -hmm. need? How much do you think you need to deload before a major competition to peak? Or what is, uh, what is for you, uh, how does that look like for you, peaking? Yeah, so there's kind of, two, um, kind of two different styles of peaks that I do in training. Um, most of it just being around, uh, I mean, as a, at any level, uh, you have kind of, you'll have your major peak, um, which is looking at all everything you're doing is made for that one peak. So for me, it might, it'll be the Olympics or world championships and you're hitting that one peak for the year. Um, but for any athlete, you've got a lot of meets in between uh, that you want to throw well at. So it's kind of hitting like a little miniature peak or you have a, a micro peak based on your whole macro view of the season. So if you think you're working up towards the Olympics or world champs, but I might have, uh, Prefontaine that I, I'll go through at the beginning of the year and look at five on a normal year. 
Um, I'll kind of pick the schedule apart and I might have three or four diamond leagues, maybe a local meet I want to try and throw far at. And then obviously us champs, cause I have to make the team yeah. uh, all building towards, towards a major peak. And so, I mean, I can hit a, a peak pretty quick, just a little, if I want to just have a little blip, if I'm training, uh, say if I'm hitting 21s every day in training, I can jump up to 2150, maybe 22 uh, in just a few days with just a little bit of rest. Uh, those are pretty easy to put together. Uh, a little jump just because you just take one or two days, might take slightly less lifting for two days and then a rest day. And it's just enough that your CNS bounces back and you feel good. Uh, the ones that are a little bit bigger are really the hardest ones. It's easy for me to peak for the biggest meet or a small meet. It's the little ones in between that are a challenge. Because if you take a week straight off uh, and, or you just kind of deload really quick, you feel really good. Your CNS comes back relatively quick. And so in one week, you might feel super good, but the technique hasn't caught up. So you'll see that in a lot of athletes, um, especially kind of col college level uh, and early pro. You might have a meet that you want to get really throw far at, but you don't give yourself enough time to really peak up and let your body adjust to feeling really good and let that technique adjust. So you might only give it uh, a week. And so you are really recovered. Your CNS is really firing, but the technique hasn't caught up because you're not used to feeling good yet. Um, and that is kind of working towards the major peak. So that might be, if I want to hit a major peak, it's really, I've almost deloaded for four or five weeks. I've been used to feeling good. Uh, so I'm doing singles, doubles, light triples in the weight room some plyos to stay activated. Um, but I've worked down to that over a month and I've been feeling good for a month. So that's kind of the, how I go about peaking. I'll have one major peak, but once I hit that, it's kind of all downhill from there. You've built the whole base in the off season and early spring and you've hit that, that major peak and you can maintain that for a long time, but it's difficult to really you're at some point you have to reload go back into heavy training if you want to have another big peak uh afterwards but with the way the pro season works yeah. peak for the olympics and you just really try to maintain toward or world championships and you're maintaining through the end of the season so you might hit your peak in early august and then it's maintenance through september just trying to hold on to what you've got you're trying to survive huh? <laughs> exactly um, that's a very, very, um, a valuable information for, for many young athletes listening to know that. So thank you for sharing that. I have, um, one more question regarding throwing. This one relates to discus throwing. You obviously were, I think you still are high school record holder, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that was that. incredible to watch that 72 plus, uh, throw the ease that you threw with and many discus coaches are happy that you didn't throw discus because <laughs> they're saying they could throw 76 meters. What made you switch to shot put or did you sacrifice one for the other or during college because you threw both for a while? Did you feel it was like a burden to, to throw both or how did, uh, how did shot put edge out? Because obviously either way you went, you could have obviously you are Olympic champion, but it's, it's really just easy to see you throwing over 70 meters in discus too. So how did you make the decision? It was really the way just things worked out my fifth year uh, in college. I had an indoor only eligibility. So through shot indoors and through 2173 indoors. And so it was kind of after I did that, it was almost a, a no brainer. Okay, I'm, I threw 2173 going into the Olympics. If I can do that at the Olympics, that, that will medal. 
so at that point it pretty much progressed but even before that I kind of had favored the shot a little bit just day in and day out the shot always has been a little bit more natural to me uh, if I just pick up the shot I have more good days than bad days relative to discus I might have a really good day in the discus but the feeling just didn't quite stick so much and the consistency wasn't quite as good as uh, it was in the shot. But the thing that was a little bit tough for me being a taller uh, rotational thrower, it was difficult because I didn't really differentiate my spin shot too much from the spin discus. Okay. And so my best habits in the shot are, weren't my worst habits in the discus. Um, where shot, you're really landing in the middle and it's up and over working over the feet where discus and shot, you land in the middle, and it's you're instantly that right foot cranks, and you're getting the shot up and over your center of gravity. Where discus, you're landing your power position, and it's working out and long. That right's more of a longer turn and feeling that sling, kind of that hollowed out right side. So when I struggle in shot, especially in college, I was when I was having a hollowed out right side. So it felt like when I was doing good things in the discus, my shot was struggling and kind of vice versa with the shot to disc. So it was, uh, it was a little bit, I felt like I could never really, I could throw both of them pretty well at the same time, but I could I never felt like I'd throw both of them at kind of my peak of what I was capable of. And so the way that the year was structured in 2016 with an indoor only mm -hmm. and through only shot indoors, cause that was my only eligibility. Mm -hmm that kind of led to transitioning to just shot outside. But it, I do, I mean, I like throwing the discus and the discus is fun. Uh, it's a, just a fun event and a little bit easier on the body, not quite as much wear and tear as the shot. And so I would someday like to go back to the discus and, and give it one shot, probably towards the end of my career, just transition to that. But I think spend a year and just focus on the discus. Cause I know I could throw it pretty far. Uh, I picked it up at the training center. Darrell Hill was trying to mess with me uh, <laughs> while we were there. And it was on a Saturday. And I couldn't believe I picked up the discus and threw the very first time I had touched it in over a year and threw 65 meters. Wow. Granted, we had, a, we had a pretty nice wind coming in, a uh, nice right crosswind. But, yeah, I just picked it up and threw 65. And that's over my meet PR in, in disc. And so I was like, man, maybe I'm in the wrong event. And Darrell was saying, yeah, you're definitely in the wrong event. <laughs> because <laughs> he obviously doesn't want me throwing a shot so uh I, I do I do uh like the idea of maybe one day returning to the discus and and giving it one last chance yeah just to try to get uh I think I could I believe I could throw 70 meters the just and as I've progressed through my shot career you just figure out more and more just the, the little things of how my body moves and then looking back on it some of the things and just being around, I just watching stall practice, watching Dakers practice and talking to them and seeing them throw and just little things that I wish I would have worked on when I was uh, in in college. And it's not like it's, oh, there's some secret to discus that I figured out. It's just little things looking back at my technique that they might do really well or things I've figured out in the shot that worked for me well in the shot uh, that if I had just like transitioning that to discus, oh, if I just kept my shoulders a little more level or a little more patient out the back, feeling how my hips need to move uh, to make the circle bigger in the shot. If I kind of think about transitioning that to the discus, yeah. it, uh, it, it makes me want to throw it to just kind of see how I can apply some of the things I've learned. 
Yeah, it'll be it'll be very excited to see, like you said, even if it's uh during uh towards your end of your career to see how far you can throw this kiss. And, and no doubt, uh, all of us we know that you can throw really far, throwing 72 plus in high school the way you did. When if you will get some training throwing 65 without training, that's that's incredible. So it's uh, it will be very exciting to see that. So hopefully, you do have a long career, but we hopefully we see that one year, uh, so we can check it out. Um, now, Ryan, last question. As I said, most of our audience is you know high school, college athletes, and, and their parents. You went to University of Texas, obviously, a lot of your family didn't. I always say there's a good fit for everybody. How did you go about that recruiting mm-hmm. process when you were you know high school athlete? Obviously, uh, how did you go around choosing a college for yourself? Yeah, so the the biggest thing that I think if I was given advice going back, um, and I'm I'm really happy with my decision. Obviously, it worked out well. Um, and was, but it was, I remember just looking back at it. Um, the biggest thing is choose for me was choosing where I felt like I could do well in both. Mm. Uh, you're a student athlete. And so there was a couple schools I looked at that were really high on the academic side. Um, but they didn't quite, I felt like, yeah, I'd have a great degree if I graduated from there. Um, Mm. but I wasn't sure that I could really get to where I wanted to be athletically. Uh, and then there was a couple schools that I looked at that either didn't have a good fit for what I wanted to study or uh, might not have been as good academically. And so I felt like at University of Texas, I could do both of them really well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I felt like you're going to be a student athlete. So where can you be the best both student and athlete? Uh, it's not really a one side or the other. You're not just going to, to do one or the other. You're going there to do both. And so I chose where uh, I thought I could do both well. And then the other thing Mm. uh, I remember talking to just some college athletes at the time would be uh, choose where you think you're going to be happy. I mean, Mm. college is a time for a lot of growth, but with that growth, you, there's going to be some growing pains and you're going to have days and weeks that you really struggle and you want to go home. Uh, school might be tough or training's not going well. I can guarantee you if you're a student athlete, you're going to have weeks and even months when training's not going well. And so go to wherever you think that you're going to be happy. Uh, just because if you're content and happy with where you're at, that transitions a lot into how you carry yourself and your confidence and your overall day-to-day life. I mean, if you're happy and content with where you're at, uh, to begin with, that's a huge foundation to getting to where you want to go and it really executing what your goals are. So, uh, yeah, those would be the two things focus on where you think you can achieve your goals, which should be being a student athlete and then be, be someplace that you're going to be happy to be there. Uh, whether you're happy with the team, you get along really well with them, or you really like the city, you really like the school. It might be that it's close to home if you're someone who's kind of worried about moving super far from home, or if you're somebody who wants to get away from home, maybe you don't want to stay at the and go to the college that's 30 minutes from your house, but go someplace that you think, or you'll know that you'll be happy as your day-to-day life. That's a key to being successful. Yeah. Every student athlete should look for that. And that's a great advice, Ryan. Thank you very much for, for sharing all that knowledge. Uh, and uh, thank you for being such a good, Role model. We were, like I said, a lot of us were cheering for you this season, not just because obviously we wanted to have a season and, you know, obviously being safe in the first place, but also because you're such a approachable uh, athlete, uh, such a great ambassador 
for track and field with all these pants, you're always taking time. And, you know, you have your hat as well, so you have your style. <laughs> now, is there going to be a meet that you're going to walk on a horse into the arena? <laughs> is that something that's coming? I think, I, I think I'm going to keep, keep my feet on the ground for now. <laughs> stay <laughs> yeah, off, get stay off the horses for now. Awesome. Right. I think I might be too big for that. <laughs> thank you so much ryan thank you uh and best of luck this season train hard and we're uh we're eager to see you throw again all right well yeah thanks for having me and thank you for your continued support i appreciate it and uh hopefully get some big throws out there for you guys this year that was ryan krauser again what an incredible thrower and a person we are keeping fingers crossed for him to smash that world record once and for all, indoor and outdoor. If you like this episode, please take a moment and leave us a review and see you soon.